Hello, and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 360th show is Dr. Julie Reed, Associate Professor of History at Penn State University, who will be talking to us about cave markings, Cherokee life, and years before Indian removal. Our history buff is Ed Broders. Ed, you got the question. Thanks, John. Um, Julie, you mentioned that there's uh, no shortage of governance issues and things like that that have um, have a long ongoing uh, been part of a long ongoing discussions within the tribe. Um, and I recall several years ago um, hearing in the news about an issue. Um, regarding the Cherokee freedmen, and I believe that it had something to do with the divvying up uh, of the tribal revenues uh, from from gambling. And uh, can you fill us in uh, what exactly, who exactly are the Cherokee freedmen, and what, what was the issue, and um, did it get resolved? Sure, yeah. So uh, the... The Cherokee freedmen are the descendants of people who were enslaved by Cherokee Nation citizens throughout the 19th century. Um, Cherokees emancipated their slaves during the Civil War. Um, That came with some dilemmas in that it... Many of the Cherokee slaveholders had actually removed their slaves to places like Texas and even the Chickasaw Nation, so they were far away from the Cherokee Nation. And 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 the federal government was kind of using those negotiations as a way to extract more from from the Cherokee Nation in the post-Civil War period, in part because the Cherokee Nation had initially aligned with um, the Confederacy and then ultimately kind of came back um, more people wound up supporting the union. Um, but Cherokees essentially granted citizenship to um, the descendants of freedmen and freedmen in, in the Treaty of 1866, which renewed the relationship between the federal government and the Cherokee Nation. Now, what qual- followed quickly on the heels of all that was the allotment policy, which was essentially a, a disavowing of those earlier treaties and a breaking up of um, communal land holdings in um, throughout Indian country, but it hit the five tribes particularly hard as well. Um, And so essentially it gave individual plots of land to every Cherokee person. um, And and the idea was to assimilate them yet again, um, to to teach them greed, and that's the language that's used, um, to teach them the the value of private property and to hopefully make them more like white people and assimilate them into the the United States. Um, So what happened at the time of allotment is, is two... Um, roles were created. One one role was a, a role that um, listed Cherokees by blood. The other role listed freedmen. And there are um, all kinds of problems um, that come out of, of the allotment era. Um, 
which are too numerous to get into here, but there are, there are real problems in terms of kind of demarcating people by, by race, um, assuming uh, there were some assumptions made about people being potentially um, inter- the products of intermarriage or the products of, of rape, um, who in fact were Cherokees by blood, who, who should have been on that other role, but through the racialized policies of the federal government wound up on this, this Friedman role. Now, setting aside all that, there's a real question about, well, shouldn't the formerly enslaved people be entitled potentially to land holdings in the nation that they essentially rebuilt in the period after removal? So there are real questions of ethics, right, and civil rights of, of, of the freedmen in the period after the Civil War. Um, now, Allotment kind of disbanded the, the, the Cherokee Nation, but it reemerged in the 1970s. Um, and initially, freedmen were included. And then later, there were a number of policies that, that attempted to exclude the descendants of freedmen. Um, it ultimately went to a vote of the Cherokee people. Um, and Cherokee people voted to exclude the descendants of freedmen in, in that vote. Um, that led to a series of um, consequences, both legal and otherwise, um, that wound its way through the, the federal court system. And ultimately, um, the courts decided on the, on the the federal courts decided on the, on the rights of the Cherokee freedmen. And so as of recently, Cherokee freedmen have been voting in Cherokee Nation elections Um and participating in Cherokee governance um, to a lesser degree. I mean, we can still get into the problems of racism within um, the Cherokee Nation writ large, but but there is a way in which Cherokees are um, Cherokee freedmen have accessed the political rights within the Cherokee Nation. Now, I think one of the misnomers, and it's it's both, I guess, perhaps true and untrue relative to resources, is that um, many people operate with the myth that. Um, Gaming tribes, tribes that engage in casinos, um, are handing out money to their individual citizens. And so, some tribes do do that. The Cherokee Nation does not. The Cherokee Nation is, is one of the two largest tribes in the, in the entire country, and they do not give out a per capita payment or an individual payment to people. So they reinvest those monies into other kind of economic endeavors, but they also reinvest a portion of, of those monies into the, the um, governing the Cherokee Nation and providing services. Um, that includes health services. It includes, um, obviously, jobs programs and food programs. And some of it's administered by the federal government. Some of it's administered by the tribe. So the question becomes, um, do, um, you know, is there some economic benefit that the tribe was withholding or not withholding? It, it isn't being personal. It was never being personally withheld from individual people because individual people don't receive those monies. We receive services. So now all freedmen descendants have access to um, the same programs that those casino rev- revenues support. Um, again, in theory that, you know, let, obviously there could still these discrimination issues that play out on a, on a local level. But um, in general, the, all, of, all of the services provided are available to, to enrolled Cherokee freedmen. Okay, a question in, in talking about the, the dire situations that I'm sure Cherokees and other tribes had to choose between, as in 
you've said throughout the show that they had to try decide to either be with the British or the Americans, and then decades later, whether with the Union or the Confederacy. Uh, these always, in my mind, sound like no-win situations. Uh, has there been any kind of documentation or discussion in the uh, by Cherokee historians about how difficult it was for the, the Cherokee and other tribes to kind of roll the dice with their existence? Sure. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's easy to be the armchair quarterback and kind of think through like, oh, well, oh what, yes. have, what would have happened if they had made different decisions, right? Um, I think there's ways in which if we think about their decision during the um, American Revolution, it makes perfect sense based on the kind of pressures that Cherokee people were under and what was in their best interest. So I think we often have to think through these issues in terms of, well, you've got a series of ultimately an awful outcomes, right? So which outcome is potentially the least awful? Yes, um, yes, yes. Which off, you know, which outcome allows us to maintain a sense of our sovereignty and understanding of who we are um, that allows us to move forward in a way that we can um, continue to be a people? And, you know, removal kind of bears that question wide open. Like, can can we continue to be a people in a different location or or is our sovereignty tied to a physical space? Um, the Civil War is a great example because it's one of those moments where um, John Ross, who, had over, who was the first elected principal chief and served for decades, um, did not want to participate in the U.S. Civil War. Um, for fear that it would rip open old wounds within the Cherokee Nation relative to removal and political disputes that, that, that dated back to removal. And that's, in fact, what happened for Cherokee people, that the Civil War was kind of a reopening of all of the internal anxieties and political um, divides that removal had had caused. Um, you know, and and so you you see these things come up again, and at the same time, there's a way in which I think Indian people and and Cherokee people are not not guilty of this. We're certainly cynical about a whole lot of things, but you know, there's a, a real cautiousness about aligning with particular political parties at the national level, right? Is that you know one of the better presidents for um, legislation really you know kind of moments in um native history is richard nixon like we get richard nixon <laughs> <laughs> i mean the, the like the the blue red doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot for native people wow. and so you know so there's a cynicism uh, ab about kind of national politics right and what that will actually mean for native peoples on the ground um there's a cautiousness around supreme court right that the supreme oh, court God, almost, yes. uh, you know never has tribes best interests at heart um you know yeah. so so i think there there's both a an understanding that 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 there's certain protections that the federal government offers, right? I mean, this is kind of the great irony, too, of, of removal, is that um, it's Southerners who kind of do the dirty work of removal. You know, it's Southerners who are leading that drive to remove tribes. And I think it's easy to demonize Andrew Jackson, but ultimately Andrew Jackson is, is representing a lot of Southern interests, right? And, and so um, 
making decisions during the Civil War also kind of has to play out around these older, well, it was ultimately the federal government that carried out removal, but it's also Southerners who kind of did the dirty work on the ground of, of putting pressure on and, and terrorizing um, Cherokee people during the re- removal era. And so y- there's a lot of ally building that has to happen for for Native nations generally, and that you both, you, you can't... Um, preclude any party from being a potential ally that 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 you have to look for your allies where you can find them um but also that your allies may surprise you at different moments (laughs) and so um you know you you often have to have strange bedfellows in indian country in terms of where um political allyship can happen all right. We would like to thank our guest for this 360th show, Dr. Julie Reed, Associate Professor of History at Penn State University, who've been talking to us about cave markings, Cherokee life in the years before Indian removal. Our history buff for today's show was at Broder's. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. And many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio in the search box. Click on the first icon that pops up and then scroll down to find ROI. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A St. Ambrose University.